about build an environment of pursuing curiosity. You know who you are, who you really are. Like <laughs> you are listening to Everyday Educators on 1921 Radio. Everyday Educators, and we educate every day. Welcome back, loved ones. This is the Everyday Educators podcast, where we educate every day. And before we start our show, I just have some housekeeping that I need to share with you. As always, you can listen to us every Saturday at 9 a.m. on 1921radio.com. But now, I am excited to announce that you can also find us on YouTube for your viewing pleasure and listen to us everywhere you can find your podcast. Just type in Everyday Educators and don't forget the S on Educators and hit that like and subscribe button on YouTube. I can finally say that. You can also follow us on all of our socials at Everyday Educators, but on the Spill app, it is at Educate Every Day. Just email us at info at educateeveryday.com. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now back to the show. Okay. So welcome back, loved ones. This is the Everyday Educators Podcast. I am Jeremy, <clears throat> excuse me. And today we have some special guests. Right now I'm going to introduce my co-host for the day, Tracy Hall, AKA Tada. What up, Tracy? Good morning, good morning. How are you guys? We chilling, we chilling. And just for the listeners, Naomi had to travel for today, so she will be back next episode. And now, this is where we get the soundboard for the... Okay. We have a very, very special guest. She is... You know, I'm going to start that over because I'm going to read my script. And now on our show today, we have an extraordinary guest. See how language is important? For your viewing and listening pleasure. Look at the red lip. She is on brand. Someone who can show you how to raise, no height, no, elevate yourself. Today we have the chief elevation officer. <laughs> I see what you did there, CEO. All right. Chief Elevation Officer, Miss L. Davis of the Elevate Group in the building. <laughs> you are crazy. Good morning, Jeremy. Good morning, Tracy. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, L. How are you? I am doing wonderful on this Saturday morning or whatever day it is. It's going to be Saturday. It's going to be Saturday. Don't worry about it. I like whatever day it is. Yeah, we record on Saturday. We release on Saturday. We just keep it continuity in that way. (laughs) Just off topic, I know we're going to get into it more, but like the Elevate Group, how'd you come up with that? Well, <laughs> come on. No, so uh, what's funny about um, even me? So L is not my given name. My birth name is Latrice, right? Mm-hmm. And it's spelled L A T R I C E. And as I started getting into business for myself, I wanted something a little different. Um, so I started going by L, and people are like. People thought it was my middle name. People like thought all these things. And I was just like, well, well, no, it's just a derivative of my first name, which is spelled with an L and it's just spelled out. 
Um, and so when I started thinking about names for my business and what I really wanted to help people do, um, elevation kept coming up. And, um, so it began to be a play on L and elevate, um, really helping people to transform their obstacles into opportunities. So that's where elevator group came from. Okay. Now I know for the longest, I thought your name was L. And then when they were like, no, Latrice, I'm like, I ain't never met this woman. She never been at the child. Y'all are lying to me. <laughs> right. Right. Because some people that we know only call me Latrice. They will, yeah. they'll never call me L. See? I'm not that cool yet, so L it is. We're going to move on to actual factual, and that is a segment where we kind of talk about something that's going on in the world of education. So in that spirit, ladies, I want to take you all back a few days ago when you were graduating and entering the workforce, getting your first adult job. Think about it. Are y'all there? Okay. So my question is, what did rich or comfortable like look like to you in your young imagination? And when did you think you were going to reach it? Tracy so, kick us off. <laughs> <laughs> now see, I got I got an answer here. I like I like the off the cuff question. So I remember graduating. I wanted, and I still do, a Cadillac Escalade. And I knew as soon as I got a salary, it didn't wasn't matter the number, as soon as I left CVS Pharmacy as a pharmacy tech, and I was a teacher's aide, and I had a salary position, oh man, I was ready to get Escalade. As we know, that is yet to come <laughs> true, but... <laughs> so like for you all, like what... What was what did that look like when you were first entering like the workforce? Like, I'll jump. I'll jump in there while L, while L ponders. <laughs> uh, you know, for me, I would have to say graduate. Going back to that moment of like graduating high school and entering the workforce, I had never. I think it's that it goes back to the importance of surroundings, right? I don't think I ever was surrounded by like super luxe stuff growing up. So I I just wanted a good job. I wanted to be able to have my own car. So luxury for me just looked like having anything that was considered my own. That's okay. good. And how long, wait, but what the follow-up question is, <laughs> like, so all right, you had your own, right? Mm -hmm. How long, well, like, not how long did it take you to get there, but I okay. the question is, did you get it? in the timeline you thought you was going to get it once you graduated. So, not to make it drawn out, but that, I love the question because it's taking me back. So I did get the car. I did get my own place, my own room because I, de I didn't grow up with one. So I wanted my own bed and all of this stuff that was my own. And I actually got it um, fairly, yeah, I got it fairly quickly. However, I didn't push past that. So that's why I think it's great to get new goals, new aspirations as you age. Because once you hit one milestone, you have to keep dreaming. You have to keep aiming for something. So, yeah, that was the... You preaching today. I'm feeling it. All right. No, that's good. So it's interesting because 
Jeremy, similar to you, I had a specific car in mind, right? Um, we should play a guessing game, which I think it was. Oh, it was a BMW. A Mercedes. Neither. Neither. <laughs> neither. I wanted me a fully loaded Jeep Cherokee, right? I wanted a fully loaded limited edition Jeep Cherokee. Like the, I remember putting that in my high school, um, like one of our like memory books or something like that. I remember putting that in there. I was like, I'm gonna give me a Jeep Cherokee. That's all I cared about. Those were the best cars in the world to me. Um, so what's funny is I did not get a Jeep Cherokee. I did get a Jeep Liberty though. Um, but what's interesting is I actually didn't buy my first car. My dad did. Um, and so I actually didn't buy my first car on my own until four years ago. Right. So there's a long time there because I drove that Jeep for 15 years. So I literally drove my Jeep to the wheels fell off. Right. Um, and then I had to finally buy my own car. And um, that was a whole different process for me because I had never bought my own car as an adult until I was in my 40s. And that's not most people's story, right? Most people don't go through two, three, maybe even four cars um, by the time they enter their 40s. Um, and then I really didn't, you know, similar to Tracy, like it wasn't until high school that I had my own bedroom, even though I'm an only child. But my parents were young parents, didn't have a lot. Um, and so when they moved into their own place for the first time, we lived in a one bedroom. So I slept on the couch or on a cot in the middle of the living room. Right. And so for me, it wasn't, you know, I didn't know really this home ownership or anything like that. But I will say that in my mid twenties, 25, 26 years old, um, my mom and I bought our first building. And so I became a homeowner very young in my twenties. And I didn't plan that way, but I, it felt, it felt good. And at the time it felt prestigious, right? Like, <laughs> you know, when you got to fill stuff out or you places and they like, do you rent or own? I was like, I own, right? <laughs> <laughs> I own, but realistically I own nothing because the bank still owned it. Right. But that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother other that we really got to dig deeper and teach people about in a different way. Um, but in my 26 year old mind, I was like, I'm an owner. All right. So the, uh, wild dreams of youth, which brings <laughs> us to our story today. Um, it comes from Jessica Dickler via CNBC.com and Jessica writes a piece on how today's, today's college graduates are making about 10 K less than their parents. And this is adjusted for inflation. Um, it also makes it uh, at at 60K after graduation, it makes it the lowest in the past decade, like post-grad earnings. What makes it more difficult for recent grads is the combination of rising housing and food costs and student loans. So, you know, they kick it back into effect. Either of you got student loans? I do. Uh, -huh. uh yeah, they ain't been forgiven yet, but I'm still holding out hope. Come on, Joe. Come on, Joe. Bring it home. Look, Joe. look, and that's a true Chi Town statement. Joe. You Joe. Hey Joe. Let's go. Hey. Listen, I'm entering back into school, so I'm about to occur some more. Uh see, come on, join with me, Tracy. Okay, you're making proclamations on the pod. This is, you know what I'm saying? This is an exclusive. All right. It will age well. <laughs> 
I like that. Um, So the article continues to suggest that graduates budget and save and invest that 60K to pay off all those student loans, which, yes, there are all financial literacy tools young people and all people should have. Um, But here at Everyday Educators, we think that it's going to take a little more for not necessarily the recent grads, but those who are in college and who are entering college um, to have more tools, especially, you know, those black and brown folks so that they can have more than 60K, you know, to uh, live these lives. And so my question for you, both of you have young people in your lives. Have you started working with them to kind of prepare for life after graduation? And what are some of those gems that you hit them with? So I can I can start. I have an 11 year old daughter um, who thinks she knows everything, everything, everything. But, um, you know, during the pandemic, I remember putting her into a financial literacy class that was virtual Um, and she was mad about it. Right. She was like eight. She was one of the youngest uh, people on the class. And she's like, why do I have to do this? I don't like I don't understand. And I'm like, because I want you to understand money. I want you to understand the power of money, um, how to use money properly. Um, and so it's interesting because now she's 11, 11 years old in sixth grade. Um, she goes to school in a community that has a lot of stores and, you know, lots of things um, happening. And so she's stayed after school. She's exerting a little bit of independence. And sometimes her and her friends will stay after school for a little bit. And so they will, you know, go to the store and buy a slice of pizza or get some garlic knots or get a drink. And she's like, oh, no, I said on the playground today because I, I wasn't spending my money. Right. <laughs> like, Or she has taken an interest in braiding hair. And so she's like, oh, I, I, I got to do somebody here because I need some money. I need to make some money. Right. So she's truly learning. The other day she was like, I need to get a job because I need to make some money. But what I'm trying to teach her and understand is that you don't have to just work a traditional job in exchange for hours to get paid. Right. Like there are other ways for you to get paid. So she has an investment account. Um, that I, I have to get better because we don't spend enough time reviewing her account and looking at the stocks that she has and what she can do with that. But um, and that grew because I'm a part of an investment club that I've been a part of for about six and a half, seven years. Um, and so she's known and she hears and has heard investment club since she was little. Right. So at least she has it in her mind. It won't be as an adult the first time that she's hearing about certain things. Well, I have a follow up question. But before I get there, Tracy, did you uh, how how do you bless the young kids with gems? Um, I remember I was dating a guy and this was a few years ago um, who had like four kids and he had custody of all his kids he was pretty financially financially secure but the kids he had two boys in particular um, and they all, all his kids always just took to me and so I was really heavy on listening to like Dr. Boyce Watkins at the time and like just learning about different investments um, and I remember uh, making them sit down <laughs> And listen to it. And one of the things that I walked away and I and I recently ran into them and I just know that they take stock in it 
um, they got so excited about learning how to invest. They were looking up stocks, like medical stocks. One actually did really, really well. Like me and their dad at the time was like, okay, let's invest in it. And we actually made a decent return. And so like that is the way <laughs> that um, I have I haven't been around kids like that, like that, because I don't have any of my own. Um, my nieces and nephews are like in their 20s and things of that nature. So I just tell them to get a better relationship with money, how you view money, your relationship with money. And don't be so, um, I got to have it now. Like, like you can wait because if you don't, it's going to get you in a world of trouble. So that's what, that's the gist of what I try to give the youngins when I do encounter them. Okay. Thank you for that. You're going to have to give me that uh, medical stock offline. We're going to look back. <laughs> right. Is it still making money? Right, you know, it. Just send a text to both of us, girl. <laughs> on the low, though. It's only the three of us and all of our listeners here, right? Um, but you brought, you brought up, both of you all brought up investing. Um, but L, you said something that I wanted to just kind of circle back on is this investment club was that something that like your parents like poured into you or you know or did that something you developed like as you you know matured yeah no it was definitely something i developed as i matured um my parents didn't have a healthy relationship with money right um if we're honest when my parents got into arguments it was always about money Right. Like it was always. So um, I did not even get my first checking account or, you know, really understand what that was until I stepped foot on my college campus. And so um, the investment account started because of a group of friends. And this is the power of your friendships. Right. And the people that are in your circle. It started because a friend was like, man, you know, I think we spent all this time together kicking it like let's spend some time together like educating ourselves and we had we all had children around the same age right we had one friend that had kids a little bit older than like a group of us but there's a group of us that is probably like four or five of us that all have an 11 year old right um and so it was like let's do something that we can educate our kids about ideally we wanted to do it so that they can start their own investment club as well um, and so that we could grow and like not just spend the time together kicking it, but also spend the time together making money, investing in ourselves, educating ourselves, educating our children um, so that we can be real productive with our time. It's like it's cool to kick it, but let's let's grow together. I love that. Man, that's fly. Um, have the 11 year olds started an investment group yet? They haven't. I will say, the, so the person that was kind of like the, the driving force behind it, he is in ridiculous amounts of club. His his line brothers got a club. His family got a club. Like he got clubs all over the place. I think he in an investment club meeting every week. I mean, every night of the week. Um, so I would say because of like his family investment club, his daughters are a little bit more involved and invested um, in their stocks maybe a little bit more than the rest of us. Uh, but I still believe in what I know for sure is even when I think my daughter is not listening, she's listening. For sure. Right. So even though they haven't heavily involved and maybe we'll revisit, you know, this actually gives me some fuel to be like, hey, y'all, 
we need to get these kids, you know, <laughs> like there we, go. we need to get them going. Um, but as they, you know, are, you know, in middle school and have a little bit more knowledge and understanding about what's really happening, this is probably the time for them to, you know, kind of start their own and, and build their own leadership around investments. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted. Well, next time you're on the show, <laughs> you know, for part two of this. Right. Now we're going to zoom in more on UL. And so the first question is, if we gathered all of your teachers, high school, <laughs> grammar school, elementary, whatever you all call it where you're listening, what type of student would they say that you were? Oh, that's a tough question. Okay. I'm, I'm thinking back to like, I'm going in my own head to kindergarten through college. What type of student would they say that I am? That is such a dynamic question. Um, I think they would say that I was smart, but did not always put forth a hundred percent effort. Um, I think even just thinking about my schooling and thinking about how I show up in classrooms and um, what I've done over time is I'm, I'm eager and, you know, for, for knowledge, I, I'm, I'm nosy. I'm very inquisitive. <laughs> so I like to be in the know about what's going on. Um, however, I sometimes I'm like, I'm not really interested in the execution of those things. And I, I think my teachers saw that early on. Teachers be knowing. Teachers be knowing. Like, they be knowing. They be like, come on, girl. Let's get a little bit more. Let's be for real. All right. <laughs> so, tell us about your time at Walt Disney. First of all, are you from the North Side? Like, how did you get there? Like, what... <laughs> I look, I'm like, is this, is there two Disney's? Cause I'm looking, I'm like, Ellie from over there. Walt Disney 4140 North Marine Drive. Okay. Talk about it. <laughs> talk about it across the street from the lake. Um, what, so, what, what, y'all, time out. what was y'all mascots? Were y'all like the, the mighty mouses, the goofy? <laughs> no, nothing related to Disney. That's what's so funny. We were Disney demons. I don't know if they still the demons, but we were the Disney demons. Oh, wow. <laughs> Based on what they say about Disney, that's look crazy. Oh, oh but right. Okay. Um, but no, Disney demons, um, green and blue were our colors. And uh-huh. they used to tell us that, no, it was dope though, because listen here, they used to tell us the green was for the grass and the trees that we could see right outside of our windows. And the blue was for the sky and the water that we could see right outside our windows. All right, <laughs> so, so hold on, we're going to stop. So they stop Listen, for those of you who now from Chicago, <laughs> that's privilege at its finest. Everybody got yeah. grass and water. Like, you know what? In low key, I've never thought about that before, Jeremy. It is super privileged. I'm listening. Now I went to Persian. We right off the lake on 31st Street, but like we had the lake and we had grass, but I'm just like, if you went to Doolittle and it's just like the projects all around you, like concrete, concrete jungle, right? Like that's 
that's wow i never thought about that oh my god the privileged demons tell us more about (laughs) (laughs) tell us more i love my camera <laughs> Tell us about the, the privileged demons. Okay. Oh, you are cutting up. That's hilarious. Um, so my parents are from Inglewood. Both of them went, went to Harper High School. Um, a couple years ago, I actually saw for the first time that I can remember the building where my mom stayed in when she was in high school and was late to school every day, literally across the street from Harper. That's a whole nother story. But <laughs> But um, my back in the day, you know, right now, I don't know if this is how this is in other parts of the country, but in Chicago, we can't even get the bus bus system right. Right. So the kids don't have buses. But back in the day, there were bus monitors. And that was a that was kind of a coveted job. Like people enjoy being bus monitors um, on the school buses. And my aunt and uncle, um, my or a couple of my aunts were bus monitors on the buses. And with them being bus monitors, they told my parents about Disney. And so my parents had already kind of looked into Beasley as an option on the South side, right? As a magnet school. Um, and you talk about privilege, like Beasley don't even have no windows, right? Like real talk. Like, Grandma taught at Beasley, we're not going to stand for no Beasley hate over here. Okay? No, it's not hating, oh, okay. but it's just like, you know, like really when you think about like the difference of schools and where schools are located oh, no. and the community. Right up the block from where the Robert Taylor Homes was. Exactly, exactly. Which is also wild because I started my career in Robert Taylor, but that's a whole other issue too. So um, my aunts told my mom and my dad about Disney and my parents was like, okay, well, let's, let's apply. Let's, let's figure out how she can go to Disney. And so when I was five, they moved up north. So we moved from Inglewood to the north side of Chicago so that I can go to school. Um, but hence why we only, like, I don't know our living circumstances before then. Um, I don't know if I, I doubt it, right? They were, when they moved up north, they were like 23, 24. So I doubt I had my own room even prior to that. But hence why they moved into a one bedroom apartment. That's all they could afford. Right. Um, but I went to Disney from K through eighth grade. And I was bused to, to and from school um, because, you know, the bus system made a little bit more sense back then. Um, but I had to get on the bus super early in the morning because my parents had to go to work. So I think my bus picked me up at like 630 in the morning or something crazy like that. Um, but then my dad's, one of my dad's siblings, one of his brothers, one of my uncles also moved on the North side. My cousin went to Disney. So it was just, it kind of like we then some of the family like was around us and we were able to go, but my parents uprooted themselves so that I could go to Disney and have that education. Well, we appreciate you, mom and dad. That was quite an undertaking to go to. Right in your twenty, like in your early twenties, from and your family is on the south side, and you are like, okay, we about to move to this new part of the city. We'll know nothing. We'll know. Was it Edgewater or somewhere? Yeah. So it was when we first. I guess technically that is Edgewater where we first lived. I I, I'll never forget an address like sixty one nineteen North Kenmore, right? And that's the north side Inglewood. So you know. Is. Not that's the north side. Not back then, though. Look, I'm 46. Not back okay. then. I, okay, I wasn't. So <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, before you go into your time at Winnie, uh, 
And we will bash Whitney out here at all. Hey, I, I, I know bashing Dolphins you, uh, represent whatever. The Dolphins, whatever. Okay, so before you get into your time at Whitney Young, were there any other schools you were considering? And like what ultimately like made you become a Dolphin? Uh, so at Disney, so here here comes look i am really like uncovering the privilege of of schools right now in this moment this is wild but disney within itself has its own gifted program and so i know don't shake your head um <laughs> take it up man it's too much too much sauce <laughs> um and so i was in the gifted program and so for the most part, even though Disney students were from everywhere, they were from the West side, South side, North side. Um, for the most part, when you went to Disney, you either went to Lane, Whitney Young, or San. Like those were the top three schools, San high school, like tons of students went to San. Um, but if you were in the gifted program, you primarily went to Lane right? Probably 95% of the students. So true story. I think I only applied to Lane and Woody Young and I had never had any intention of going to Lane. I was like, that ain't my school. <laughs> like I was like, Whitney Young is my school all day, every day. And I will never forget when that acceptance letter came in the mail. I wasn't even home. I was at my aunt's house on the South side. My mom called over there I was like, you got a letter from Winnie Young. And I was like, open it. <laughs> open it. Read it. What does it say? <laughs> so I too remember when I got my Whitney Young acceptance letter. And I also had no uh thoughts about going to that school. So it was like, so that was like the lane for me was Whitney Young. A little, um, a little Whitney Young hate. Cause there's too many of y'all out here. Ah, <sighs> don't do it, Tracy. Too many this, in my life, Tracy. You know this. This is how this is how Chicago folks do. I am aware of the Whitney Young hate and privilege. <laughs> I am aware. Not that they made it to Florida. Florida. <laughs> in Florida, they know about. Yeah, I'm aware of Dolphins. the Whitney Young. I know a couple people who went to Whitney Young, and so I'm aware of the the privilege and the hate. <laughs> Look, one one of our good coffee shop friends. He graduated a few years he was before on I did. Toriano, yeah, the people know. Toriano is from Whitney Young. Yes, girl. Oh, it makes okay. sense. Hey, <laughs> First of all, cut it out. Not too much on my man's. All right, relax. No, it's a, it makes sense. I, everybody I know from Whitney Young, Whitney Young, I, you could tell. It, okay. It, it comes across prestige. I'm, I'm assuming. But I don't even want to. I didn't want to ask this question, but I guess I have to <laughs> briefly, you know, in, in two sentences or less. If you Don't can do that. Summarize your time. Well, really, I do want to hear about your time at Whitney Young, but more importantly, <laughs> what what happened at Whitney Young that made you want to go to Omaha, Nebraska? Oh Lord! <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Uh -huh. See, see, look at you. She does. Omaha, Nebraska. Tell us more. <laughs> So it, it definitely nothing happened at Whitney Young that made me want to go to Omaha. Um, but what I will say about my high school experience is it's, it's where I learned who I am, right? Um, it's very interesting. And I don't know if this is by happenstance, um, but at, when I turned 14, I made a decision not to drink pop anymore. 
I made a decision not to eat pork anymore. And there was something Wait, else. Tell me, about when you was 14, you, you was a 5 percenter? Like, <laughs> that was going through my mind. I was like, like you with the woo, like you. You are cutting up. You are. It was like those are very strong stances at fourteen. The gods of the earth, you know. You are cutting up. Oh my god. <laughs> what happened? That was traumatic. <laughs> Listen, it had nothing to do with any of that. Like, I didn't even know. I didn't even learn until later what a 5% was, right? Like, I had no idea. Um, I had, what I will say, what was interesting is my freshman year of high school is when Malcolm X came out, when the movie came out. Mm-hmm. And we cut school to go see the movie. Like, Deep, right? Deep, and here's a here's a true story. I had some shorts that um, a friend got me from TJ Maxx that had a big X on it, and those are the shorts I wore. To see my- <laughs> I love it, Elle. I love it. Yo, true story. You laid it on thick. You was really uh, Ali. You was really Listen, and that's not even what's funny is that's not even who I am. That's what's funny. Like, um, it's just happenstance. That's why I said it just kind of happened that way. Um, But like doing stuff like that, like cutting school to go see Malcolm X and then having legit discussions, right, about the movie. I was just like, oh, is is this what we do in high school? Okay. Like, (laughs) this is pretty dope um but i ran track in high school so i learned how to be a part of a team um i learned what it meant to support people no matter what their skill level was no matter what was happening um so that was pretty powerful and you know i have some friendships that are still intact you know and maintained from that day um it may it wasn't the first time i had a black teacher but it was because we did have some black teachers at Disney, which I was grateful for. Um, but it was the first time that I saw so many black and brown students that were all considered smart, top of their class, and like really interested in learning and educating. Because at Disney, even though there was the gifted program, I was one of three or four black students in that gifted program. Everybody else was white or Asian, right? So getting to Whitney Young, I was like, oh, everybody look like me and we all smart. Like, that's dope, (laughs) right? Like we out here doing it. So loved my high school career. Um, Wouldn't change it for the world. It is definitely the first step um, that I gained into leadership and understanding just who I am as a person. Now, fast forward, how that got to me to Creighton University. I never heard of Creighton University ever in life. Neither have we. Hush your mouth until you don't heard. So anybody that watches basketball has heard of Creighton from that standpoint. But um, I was a junior in high school doing as junior girls in high school do go to a bunch of basketball games. Right. To see the cute boys play basketball. Um, (laughs) I mean, let's be real. Right. I'm with you. That's what we do. Um, And cut it out. (laughs) The education podcast. All right. Relax. Um, educating your audience about how connections and relationships are built. Thank you very much. Love um, it. 
And so Can we elevate this conversation. <laughs> I love the connecting of the dots. <laughs> Circle it back around now. That's yeah. how we do it. Connect the dots. <laughs> so met a friend um who was playing basketball and was like, Yeah, I'm going to Creighton, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, dude, what is Creighton? And he 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 more chocolate than I am. And I was just like, where is Creighton? Omaha, Nebraska. Sir, you black man playing basketball in Omaha, Nebraska. Wh- where they do that at? Right? Like, what's going on? And he was just like, don't knock it. Da-da-da-da, you know, like all this stuff. And he's like, no, you should check it out. Because at the time, I wanted to be um, uh, Obi-Gani. I really thought I was going to be a doctor, that I was going to bring babies into this world. And so I took like one little step and dug a little deeper and Creighton had this guaranteed admissions program that if you maintained a certain GPA in undergrad, you automatically got into their med school. And I was like, "Mm, that sounds sweet. So while HBCU heavy, right? Like everybody at Whitney Young was like, Howard, U of I, let me be real too, right? Tons of Whitney Young folks was going to University of Illinois Champaign. Um, but you know, folks were looking all over the map. So I, I mean, my, I, who knows how many college applications I put in and they were all over the place. Um, but I, Creighton came, my, my first acceptance letter came from Creighton and they were offering a pretty, like pretty decent amount of money. And my mom was like, oh, Creighton it is. Nice. Listen, you know what? I appreciate your parents. Mm-hmm. Although, um, well, I have a lot of friends, some of them we both know, who have children who are going off to college. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of these young people have a lot more say so over where they're going to school and don't quite understand the all the variables in making that kind of decision. So when you know, when your mom was like, oh, they offering the most money. Well, that's what, you know, that's that's where it's at. You know, I'm sure it's uh, paying off dividends from that, you know, what you would have paid at U of I. Well, yeah, I mean, still owe some money, but, you know, definitely not quite. <laughs> and probably, I probably owe more money from NYU for grad school, truth be told. Well. What? Come on, L. <laughs> Stun is a habit. Stun is a habit, okay? Well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Talk to them, L, tell them. Yeah, yes. I, I am a highly educated black woman. Let's yeah. let's be clear. Mm. Say less. <laughs> less is said. What I want to ask is if you can talk about your time in Nebraska, in New York, you know, for that matter, grad school, like. You know, what kind of experiences did you have there at those institutions that kind of helped prepare you for the work that you're doing today? So um, one of the things I'll never forget about my time at Creighton, and I actually just shared this with my daughter when we were in Omaha um, in the summer, is so no surprise, I'm sure to most people. So Creighton is a private Jesuit institution. Um, so what does that mean? That means there is, it's, it's a predominantly white institution, right? Um, folks coming from all time, all places in Nebraska and Kansas and Colorado and wherever. Um, and so we had what was called freshman seminar. So we're in our freshman seminar and 
Creighton is situated uh, right outside of downtown, right west of downtown, right in between North Omaha and South Omaha. North Omaha is predominantly black. South Omaha is predominantly Latino. Right. So just giving you a little bit of landscape of what's happening. So we're literally right on the cusp of North Omaha, though, like uh, two blocks. Right. So there's a McDonald's that tons of Creighton students uh, went to. There's a McDonald's and an Asian like Chinese food spot right next to each other. We're in freshman Omaha and I mean, in freshman seminar. And I at that time may have been maybe it was one other black person in this particular freshman seminar group. And they said, well, there is a McDonald's over there. Um, It's in North Omaha. So don't ever go over there by yourself. And I said, I said, excuse me. I said, we shouldn't go to McDonald's by ourselves because we just should stay in groups of two or more because it's safe in general. Or we shouldn't go to McDonald's because it's in North Omaha. And they were like, well, it's in North Omaha. It's not safe. I said, why is North Omaha not safe? And they start stuttering over their words, right? And these are, these, are, these are white people telling me this. And so I said, let's be clear. I said, I'm from Chicago, Illinois. I said, I, I know people. I have been in Cabrini Green projects, which at the time like was notorious. Like people knew about Cabrini Green. As soon as they heard Chicago, that's what they equated like Chicago to. So I was like, I think I'm good going to McDonald's by myself or with anybody else. Right. And so that's my, that's me as a freshman. I, I think literally two weeks after that, I remember calling my mom like, oh, this ain't gonna work. Like, although I wasn't a five percenter and although I wasn't Malcolm, all of that was in me. Right. <laughs> like in some form or fashion, like going to high school with black and brown, highly educated people. I was like, y'all got me messed up. And so my mom was like, whatever you do, just give it a full year. She was like, if after one full year, you still think it's craziness and you can't hang, you can do whatever you want to do. You can go wherever you want to go. And so what happened that freshman year is I became heavily involved in the multicultural student affairs office. Like the reason that I was pissed all the time became my fight. So I became involved in like diversity panels and, you know, like just fighting for the black voice on campus because I was like, y'all got us messed up and you are not going to sit up here and judge going to a freaking McDonald's that's literally down the stairs and across the street talking about because it's in North Omaha. So I began to educate people in a different way. I became the, I became the black girl. Okay. With people asking me about my hair and having all the questions about like, well, why don't you wash your hair every day? So although it was frustrating and it was exhausting, I was like, if they've never, I I literally met people that had never met a black person like in real life before getting to Creighton. So I was like, okay, I just, this is part of my role is to educate people. Um, didn't know that's why I was going to college, right? Mm. I thought I was going to college to be educated. And thus the chief elevation officer saga begins. 
Man, I mean, it began even before those college days, right? It it, it, be, it began back in those Disney days for sure. Um, but it, it definitely college is is when I, I talked about Whitney Young showing me kind of like those leadership potentials that I had, and then I was able to exercise them at Creighton. That's where they became like full force because I was like president of our Black Student Association for mm-hmm. two years. I was, you know, that's where I became a Delta. That's where, like, so. So they yeah. had. Yes, in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes, is where I was made. Gamazai all day, fall 98, 25 years in Delta this December. Yes. Nice. You heard it right. I just, you see. You just gave her an She <laughs> She took, she went right for the gusto. <laughs> 25 years. Delta. She's going to represent. Rep represent, represent. I love it. Represent to a Delta. I, I see. You know what? <laughs> but it's coming like the sun. It coming together. Yes, it is. And it's pointed up. Elevate. I see. I see it. I. Oh, it was all see what I'm saying? Okay. What? <laughs> this is great. I love. Listen, y'all have got my morning started. This is great. <laughs> what we do here? We educate every day. All right. So, I know a little bit about what you do, but if you can explain to the people, I know you kind of talked it around it. Mm-hmm. But as a chief elevation officer, like, what is it that you do? Explain like some of that work. Yeah, absolutely. So, um. This work was born um, earlier. I mentioned I started my career at Robert Taylor. Um, And what I meant by that is there was a Boys and Girls Clubs um, right across the street from the Robert Taylor uh, homes. And that is the very first job that I had out of grad school in Chicago. Uh, first full-time job. I was uh, what was considered a teen reach coordinator at the Boys and Girls Clubs of Chicago, Robert Taylor Club and right on 51st and federal and so boys and girls clubs i was there for seven and a half years and i learned so much about the nonprofit sector i learned direct service and programming i learned grant writing i learned leadership development i learned i found my trainer facilitator voice um and so now with the elevate group my business primarily works with youth serving nonprofit organizations um, I do a lot of leadership development programs. And so what that means is, you know, anytime you have a cohort groups together, what's popular in Chicago and kudos to Jeremy for becoming a Surge Institute fellow. Um, so like the Surge Institute's um, University of Chicago has a civic leadership academy. Like there's all these leadership programs. Um, I am working with Illinois Action for Children as one of my clients and I am leading their early childhood fellowship initiative. Um, And so I developed it from a pilot standpoint. um, And then we are in our cohort number two. So that's one aspect of the work. I also do board development. So nonprofits have to have boards in order to operate. 
um, and keep them true to the work that they do. And so, but sometimes people get on boards and they don't know their role. They don't really know uh, the purpose of the work that they're supposed to be doing. So I support organizations in developing their boards. Um, and I, I truly love professional development and professional growth. I think that we don't spend enough time um, and we don't advocate for ourselves in that space. And so that is something that I learned to do while I was at Boys and Girls Clubs, when conferences and things came about, I was like, no, I wanna go because I wanna learn, I wanna grow, and I wanna continue to ascend in whatever the work is that I'm doing. So um, that is what I help people do. So that is that is how I elevate people. That is how I help them grow um, on, on the kind of like traditional business side, that is one way. And then like the other piece of my work is around resilience. Um, I've had, I've gone through a lot of personal, uh, challenges and experiences in my 46 years. And I didn't really know what resilience was until about nine years ago when I unexpectedly, yep. Okay. I'm gonna hold off. Cause I want to hit you. I want to yep. say so you good. Nice okay. segue. Nice segue. As you were just getting into, right? I'm a, I'm a pair both of these questions together because I know you're gonna they roll right into each other, right? Mm-hmm. So the work that you do, like, open up a lot of doors for you. One including a TED Talk. Yep. The first time we got a TED Talk alum hey. podcast, we major. <laughs> TEDx, let's be clear, TEDx, because there's a big difference between TED and TEDx. Is it like Twitter and X? No, I never. Well, shut um, up. <laughs> <laughs> TEDx. Yes. Okay. So, talk about resilience mm-hmm. and then like how that, that work kind of led into, you know, uh, that experience, you know, can kind of ball that together yeah absolutely um and just i'm sorry but we gonna uh link because i watched it she made sure you know since she bullied me to make sure that i that i watched the talk so make sure we i persuaded out. you i encouraged you listen she put on a little five percent of kofi and we- <laughs> The little shorts with the X on it. She and the 5% of Koofy. So I'm going to make sure that we keep, uh, we'll, we'll get it pinned. Oh you know, my God. We'll post this show on YouTube. Make sure that, you know, we link it. So, but please continue. Um, so, um, nine and a half years ago, almost 10 years is coming up pretty quickly. Um, I, I, let me, let me just let me just put it out there. So if you listeners, you know, you you might be a little bit unexpected. You're going to hear something a little bit unexpected, but it's all good. I am good. Um, nine and a half years ago, I unexpectedly uh, lost my husband. He literally went to sleep and never woke up. And so my life changed instantly. My daughter was two years old um, and I was 36 years old. And I was like, you don't become a widow at 36. Like, right. Like there was just nothing. I couldn't fathom that in any way. Um, And so even in that moment, even like at 36, even though I had already been through a lot of life, um, I don't know that I ever thought about resilience. I don't know that I ever thought about what that word meant um, or being resilient. 
but I kept hearing people and I, you know, at his funeral, at Paul's funeral, I spoke and people were like, you did not just speak at your husband's funeral. Like, how were you able to even do that and like not have a complete breakdown? Um, and I mean, it was because I was just like, I just felt like that's what he wanted me to do. That's what I had to do. That was a part of keeping his legacy alive in that very moment as, as quickly as that happened. Um, and so people just started using the word resilience and I had to, I started looking it up. Like, what does resilience mean? I really don't, I haven't really used this word. Um, and then my life became a living testimony of resilience, literally. Like there's no better way to put it. Um, because I was super intentional, like three weeks after my husband passed, I was in therapy. I was going to two therapists, one for me and one for Simone, because I was like, I'm not putting a two year old in therapy, but I feel like I need to go to a child therapist to like help me figure out how to communicate with my child that she'll never see her daddy again. Um, and so other things like uh one of my friends the same friend who actually started the investment club we started having dinner over their house every tuesday right so that became something that i looked forward to because it was like tuesday dinner kept me sane and we did that up until the pandemic hit uh, hit hard so we did that until october of 2020 um every tuesday and if something, if meetings or something came up on Tuesdays, we might switch day, but primarily Tuesday dinner was a thing. Our girls grew to love it, like look forward to it. I looked forward to it because I knew I would have adult interaction during that time, right? Because that is one of the biggest challenges of losing your spouse, um, especially in raising a child is you don't have your thought partner. You don't have the, your person to like bounce stuff off of. Um and so all of those things, like just being intentional about getting in nature, um, just being intentional about cheering for myself, right? Learning to be my own cheerleader in a real way um, as a parent, as an entrepreneur, as, you know, just all these roles that I had to have. So, you know, one thing led to another. I started talking about resilience, started being intentional um, holding virtual grief support groups for initially it was just for other widows. And then I started expanding a little bit more for people who experienced any kind of loss, um, because this time of year gets really difficult for people. Um, and so I challenged myself one year to do a video up to 90 seconds, um, on social media and just talked about how I have been able to navigate grief and the challenges and that went over really well turned that content into a small book um called the art of the bounce back um and that is kind of like your 31 day principle devotion to like get through and navigate um different different challenges in your life and which eventually also led to me applying to TEDx Babson College in Boston, uh, Massachusetts, where I talked for 12 minutes about using resilience as your superpower. Um, and it was amazing, right? It was amazing to be able to share the story. It was amazing because community showed up for me, right? Like we have alluded to um, talking about Sip and Saver Coffee Shop, where the owner spent his time and resources and showed up in Boston to support me. Like 
that's community y'all right like that that's how we show up for people um that's how we show we love people and so that that's been amazing and i you know some days i don't want to be resilient i'm gonna be honest some days i don't want to be strong but i know that without it life seems that much more daunting you know so i have become a resilience advocate um even though there are people who will like say we don't need to be more resilient you know we need the world to be a better place well we do but we also know that this world is crazy and trifling so in the meantime how we gonna get through it (laughs) resilience (laughs) exactly (laughs) resilience thank you for sharing that yeah I mean, even though I've like heard the story before, like it still is uh, re-encouraging. You know, every time that you know you share your vulnerability and your your resilience, your power in it, and you know why you are an inspiration to like so many of us. Just like seeing this little red ball of light bounce around the city, you know, um, we just greatly appreciate you. So my. Next question, my last question of this interview portion. Um, and, and this embodies like the work that we do here at Every Educator. Ew. This embodies the work that we do here at Everyday Educators. Get it out. Mess that up. Thank you. <laughs> so right now, there is a little demon somewhere in the Walt Disney's, a mini dolphin, if you will, at the Whitney Young's of the world who would like to be in the field of resilience and would like to become a chief elevation officer. Um, and they don't quite know like where to start or those educators who are like helping them along the way, right? They don't know where to start, where to direct them. So what are some things today that a young person can do to prepare to kind of do the work that you are doing? So, you know, it's interesting. I've, um, this week I heard something that has challenged my thinking. Um, a lot of times we tell people and we talk about finding your purpose, right? Um, and, and so how do we go about finding our purpose? You know, we, we get involved in lots of different things. Um, the way that I teach my daughter is I expose her. Like she literally left out this morning going to an art class mad because I enrolled her in this art class. But I'm like, you don't know till you don't know, right? Like you have to experience it first. And then if it's absolutely like, nah, I I have no desire, then okay. So now we know, but you gotta, you know, I I tell her, I'm going to expose you to everything. You don't always have to like it, but you're going to get exposed to everything. So that's, that's one part, right? Is just, you know, educators in classrooms have to, they don't always have the resources for the field trips, don't always have the ability to get outside of the classroom. So you have to bring things into the classroom, right? You've got to, you've got to explore the world through the devices. Most of our schools at this point have Um, computers in the classroom um, that students have access to at some point throughout the day. So it's like you got to expose them to the different continents and countries through that means, right? Like, no, you can't take every student to Ghana physically, but you surely can take them there virtually. 
right? Um, and so we, we do, we have to expose our young people. But so getting back to someone talks about the purpose, but really the question we should be asking ourselves is like, what is our function, right? Because what are we really meant to do? I believe, you know, from my perspective, we are all here to serve each other in some form or capacity. And so figuring out what the function is, like, I know that I want to, I've always known I wanted to help people. And it started with little people, right? Even when I was 14, I had a junior camp counselor job at the park district. And so it's like, I always knew I wanted to impact and influence people, but I just didn't know what that meant or what that looked like. And then when I learned about training and facilitation, I was like, oh, I was thinking of it as that's my purpose. But I now like having that conversation, listening to this conversation earlier this week about purpose versus function, I'm like, oh, my function is to teach and train and educate people through my facilitation through my words, through my story, through my experience. And so I think we have to continue to expose our littlest people. When I was at Boys and Girls Clubs, I was all about experience and exposure. And so that's how I parent. And that is what I challenge everybody listening, whether you are a parent, whether you are an actual educator, no matter what, it is our responsibility to expose young people and to give them experiences that they may not otherwise have. And so we got to do that on all levels. So we have to take them to the black owned coffee shop. We have to take them to the black owned boutique. We have to take them to black dentists and black doctors so that they can see themselves in the people. And the reality of it is, is that our black educators are not in classrooms like they used to be, right? We don't have as many black teachers. My daughter has yet to have a black teacher in her elementary education. God willing, there's, there's, there's two that God willing, they don't leave before she gets to seventh and eighth grade, right? But she has not had a black teacher yet. That's a problem. That is a problem. And I thank you. This wasn't, we didn't even practice this, but you reinforced uh, our core belief here is that everyone is an educator. And so like you kind of hit on the different, um, the spectrum of it, right? We do have those in-class educators, teachers and program administrators and all that kind of cool stuff. But we also have those at home educators mm-hmm. such as yourself. Uh, we do, we have our community educators. So all of those vessels that young people see themselves in yeah. and we have a responsibility to one another um, to continue to educate. And then of course we have our future educators, you know, our young folks. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. I appreciate that. Conjunction Junction. Hey. Look at that. Show and I. Hey. 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 What is the greatest book you've ever read? And what is the last book that you read? I had to have finished the last book. Uh, no, but we gonna pretend like you did. Um, I don't know the name of it. Um, the greatest book. You know what stands out? The first thing that's coming to my mind is makes me want to holler. Makes me want to holler? Mm. Um... I read that book 
in my 20s, maybe. And I don't know. It's just something. It talked a lot about Harlem in the 20s. It talked a lot about like not necessarily just like black plight, but there was something about it. Actually, I need to reread it um, so that I can see how me reading this like 20, 25 years later um, thinks about it. But I just remember reading it and it standing out in my mind as like a great book. And I remember sharing it with a lot of people at that time. Like, oh my God, you got to read Makes Me Want to Holler. Like, you know, so um that is what's standing out in my mind the first thing that came to mind the last book that i finished i really don't know the name of it let me see if it's in my phone i actually um i have i'm reading or listening to like three books at once right now one of those can count (laughs) i'm like but i haven't finished those but i did finish one this summer um Let's see. I'm going to find it because I prefer to, to share something that I have already finished. And well, the, whole, the, the as you look, the, the essence of this segment, I'm a reader and we're all readers. And, you know, people often come to us and say, hey, what is a good book suggestion? You know, what have you read? Something like makes me want to holler. So we kind of include yeah. this so that folks who are listening and who may kind of resonate with you and your personality, your story and say, well, if Elle likes makes me want to holler, I want to read makes me want to holler as well. So yeah. Um, so the book that I just finished right. though was This Close to Okay. So that was this fictional, close This Close to Okay. It was fictional, but powerful. Okay. All right. Really so like I said, next time you're on the show, we'll circle back on this and, and instead of asking the greatest book that you read, we'll ask you our review on makes me want to holler for the second time oh so you about to hold me accountable that means i got to go read the book (laughs) that's how it works and that is a wrap y'all thank you for going on this journey with us i want to thank our special guest tracy round of applause for tracy for Mm -hmm. spending some time with us today Helping a brother out. Extra special round of applause for the best interview so far. I I didn't even have said that before. Um, For L, Ms. L Davis, you know, thank you. Thank you. Um, Before we go, are there any final words? And please share with the people like how they can get in touch with you. Um, so final words, I, I really appreciated what you said earlier, Jeremy, about um, really the premise and your philosophy is that everyone is an educator because it's true. Um, and I think that if we all take on our ownership of, of what that looks like for each of us, that we, we can make some change and we can have significant impact in this world, um, especially for our most vulnerable, our young people. Um, and, and so I think that that is, that is my call to action for the listeners is to, you don't have to be the parent, you don't have to be the auntie or uncle, um, but just expose young people to something different. Um, if you don't have children, but you live near a school, ask if you can, you know, come in, even if it's just one time and tell young people about your travels. Right. Like 
if you took a trip, really cool trip somewhere and you took some pictures, go put together a 10 minute PowerPoint and be like, hey, can I share this with our young people? Um, so I, I, I think that we just all have a role to play into that. So that is what I will say. And I believe, truly believe that we can utilize resi- resilience as our superpower so that we can navigate life's challenges because what we know for sure is that challenges will come our way. Um, and so you are more than capable of handling them. You have all the tools necessary that you need to get through whatever those most difficult times are. And you got me rooting in your corner, even though I may never meet you in person. So just want to remind people of that. Um, I can be found on Instagram at L Davis speaks. That's all one word. L Davis speaks, or you can head to the bounceback where you can learn more about the book. The TEDx talk is listed there. Um, all those good things. Alrighty. Thanks again. And until next time, keep teaching, keep learning, keep loving. We out y'all. Peace. 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 And that's the show! Yay! Woo! <laughs>